G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. This show is an interesting mix between pop culture and personal development with a very wide range of guests that come on the show for a chat from the sports space, philosophy, health and fitness, entertainment and everything in between. The idea is to entertain or to educate you guys and hopefully sometimes both, either through just myself or with the guests that come on the show as we explore different ideas and concepts and have some really interesting conversations. The mission with the Brain Taming Podcast is to raise a million dollars, and that all starts with uh, building an audience and a platform. So thank you for tuning in. Our goal is to raise a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and family and be sure to subscribe. With that said, strap in and enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome back to the Braintainment Podcast. Today, I'm very fortunate uh, to be chatting with Dr. Phil Jaunsey. And let me assure you guys, you're in for a real real treat today. Widely regarded as Australia's foremost performance psychologist, having worked closely with some of the biggest corporate and sporting clubs here in Australia and globally for that matter. He's also been described as one of Queensland's most dynamic uh, presenters and that his contagious passion for life has an overwhelming ability to leave guests wanting more, which is very much the case for myself as I began to dive into his world um, and his work in preparation for this conversation today. His CV is very extensive uh, to say the least, but just to give you a little bit of an idea, Phil has been given the call up to work with companies uh, like Ray White, LJ Hooker, Origin, almost all of the big banks here in Australia and a whole host more. From a sporting perspective, uh, he was a psychologist with the Sri Lankan cricket team in 2018. And in 2016 and 2017 was the psychologist with the Bangladesh cricket team. He recently retired from the Queensland Bulls cricket team, if I'm not mistaken, after 20 years. He was mental skills coach with the Brisbane Lions AFL side uh, from 94 until 2008. And the sports psychologist with the Brisbane Broncos NRL team from 93 uh, for 15 years and resumed working with them in 2017 and 2018. He's also been involved with the English Rugby League uh, team and some Olympic teams over the years also. So like I said, a very impressive resume and you can see why I'm super excited to chat with Phil today. His uh, his approach and his ideas in the work of self-improvement and performance psychology is insanely fascinating. And we're going to explore a few of those ideas today, of course, as we unpack them. And just to give you a little bit of context um, as to what some of that might be, Phil will obviously expand on this. Um, but we're going to look at understanding ourselves and others, personality profiling, uh, which I found really interesting, the power of positive doing, how to actually change our behavior, goal setting, and of course, some of the, the handbrakes or hurdles to success that inevitably get in the way. So with all that said, mate, uh, Dr. Phil, I really appreciate you carving out the time and coming on the show for a chat today. So it's good to chat. I mentioned some of the ideas at the top there um, that I really like your approach to. So to kick things off, I just, I want to talk about the power of positive doing. Um, I've heard you talk about thinking versus doing um, and the power that has, I think it's probably no secret that people can get trapped overthinking sometimes. So um, to kick things off, mate, what exactly do you mean by the power of positive doing? What I mean by that is that I have four degrees in psychology, including a doctorate. I've got 50 years experience as a psychologist and I can't control my mind and I can't control my emotions. So if I'm angry at you, I have no control over that emotion. Uh, or let's assume you've just got a job that I think I deserve and I think you backstabbed to get it. I have absolutely no control over feeling jealous. What I do have control over 
is how I react to that. I can say up yours, which makes things worse. Or I can say, hello. Conversely, talking about the jealousy, I can say, you backstabbing scoundrel. And everybody says, thank heavens, we didn't get the job to fill. Or I can say, listen, I really thought I was going to get the job. Really thought I was better for the job. How can I help you? In other words, no matter what emotion I get, I have the control of the reaction to that emotion. And I can ask myself, is that reaction making it better or making it worse? So one of the things I teach is we have absolutely no control over emotions and thoughts. Matter of fact, I even go further on this. I emphasize that if you can't see it, you can't fix it. I've never seen a jealousy. I've never seen a anger. I don't even see talk about depression. I talk about people depressing. Life's like being on a water ski on a motorboat. The only thing you don't have the motorboat to do is stop because when it stops, you sink. So when we're depressing, if I talk about depressing, I can fix it. If I talk about feeling depressed, I can't fix it. My dad was a psychologist and years ago, a man came to him and said, oh, Dr. Jonesy, I fell out of love with my wife. I want to divorce her. I just said, fine. What do I want you to do for the next five days? Do something special for your wife every day. Like what? Take her out to eat, buy some flowers. On the sixth day, we'll talk about divorce. He came back on the sixth day, he said, Dr. Jones, you're embarrassed. My dad said, why? Well, I fall in love with my wife. In other words, what had happened, he was waiting to feel romantic, dacromantically, where it was the other way around. When you act romantically, you feel romantic. And so absolutely everything that we do is our fault. How we feel is not. Now, I'll talk later on about how our brain works and how our brain deals with that. But at this stage, it's really emphasized that I always have the choice to do plan A or plan Z. Now, my plan A is speak quickly, tell unbelievably bad jokes. For example, why the guy call his girlfriend hinges? Why is that? Something to adore. <laughs> why did the guy get rid of his vacuum cleaner? It why sucked. That? <laughs> it sucked. Now, my point about that is that I can always speak quickly, tell bad jokes. I could have had a really, really bad day. Let's assume my wife picked on me. I always tell people when my wife and I got married, we had something in common. She loved me and I loved me. Um, and let's assume that um, I had a headache. Let's whatever what's going on. Nothing stops me speaking quickly, telling bad jokes. And I tell this story often about oh, over 15 years ago. My son, Timothy, uh, been, was 18 at the time. He'd been playing indoor soccer and he broke his elbow. And he got it rewired and he was coming down our carpeted steps and we just washed him and he slipped. So he twisted to protect his elbow, hit a pot plant, severed his kidney, ICU. Now, fortunately, renologist saved his kidney as well, but I was running a two day course the next day and I was speaking about Timothy, but I was speaking quickly, telling really bad jokes. And somebody said, how can you be so upbeat with your son in hospital? I said, would it help Timothy? For me to be downbeat. We said, well, no. Could help me to be downbeat. Well, no. Could help you for me to be downbeat. No. So I should be downbeat. Well, everybody knows. But you don't feel good. You can't act good. It's never okay, people. Let's imagine that everybody here is so depressed. Life sucks so much you need three straws. And a fire breaks out. And you know if you don't leave, you're going to die an excruciating, horrible death. How many of you say, well, I would leave? but I'm depressed. Oh, wait till I feel better before I leave. And 
Or I say, let's be positive. I've got a bar of gold bullion for you. And each one of you, if you get it within 120 seconds, you can keep it. But if you don't, you miss out. How many of you say, well, I would go, but I'm depressed. You can see in the looks in their faces, they had this idea that they've been taught that until you feel good, you can't act good. And I always have two questions I ask people. Question number one, if you're arrested on charges of trying to be successful, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Where the barrister get up, listen, your worship, Phil Jonesy talks big wins. It means he's never done anything. And the question number two is this, is what you're doing getting where you want to get? So if I say to somebody, listen, I want to get to that wall, but I go in this direction. You say, well, hang on, Phil. You said you want to get that wall. Yeah, I did. But the evidence is wrong. And it's like the teenager, my parents keep treating me like a child. Well, I wonder why. Because their evidence is like a child. So the power of positive doing teaches people that the fortunate thing is absolutely everything that we do is, in our, is our fault. And so if what we're doing is not working, we can change what we're do doing. Now, sadly, I talk about winners and losers in life. And the difference between a winner and a loser is winners say everything I do is my fault, so if it's not working, I'll fix it. Losers say it's not my fault. Now, winners don't always win. For example, Grant Hackett a few years ago broke a world record and came second to a guy named Thorpe. No, he wasn't a loser. If you break a world record, you've done the best you can. As a matter of fact, we actually talk about the difference between aims and goals. And aim, my aim at the end of this podcast is I've helped people. Mm. The people who, that's really been useful. But I have no control of that. Somebody might say, well, listen, I don't want to listen to that old dinosaur. Or conversely, we've already sold our cow, so we have no use for your bull now. I mean, I have no control over the reaction to me. But I do have control, so my aim is why I'm doing it. Aim to win, aim to make a sale, whatever it might be. But you don't have control over that. Aim to win, like I like Hackett. But my goals, I do have control over. I found in talks like this, if I use certain stories, and I've already said some of the stories, and if I tell some things, people go away and say, that really helped me. So I haven't failed if I don't achieve my aim, but I have failed if I not achieved my goals. So my goal at the end of this podcast, have I said the things and answer your questions that when that give those answers, people said, that really helped me. I'll tell the story years ago when the Broncos, Wayne first came back to the Broncos and he looked at the team. He says, probably gonna take us three years to get us to be premiership finalists. Surprise, surprise, in that first year, they got in the grand final. And in that grand final against the Cowboys, oh, it's a wonderful game. One of the Broncos players made a mistake, last 60 seconds, Cowboys scored, and then they won it in overtime. And after the game, Wayne said, we didn't win, but we didn't lose. And if the Cowboys hadn't won, they wouldn't have lost either. And what he was talking about is goals. In sport, you can do everything right. I was, as you mentioned, with cricket, you can bowl really well and not get any wickets. You can bat really well and not get any runs. I mean, that's in sport, you can do really well and not get the outcome you wanted. And so we talk about in sport, the difference between disappointment and regret. Grant was disappointed, but he didn't have regret. He, he swam the best way swing and could win. Regret is where you really know you didn't do the best job. So when I was talking to that audience with Tim in hospital, 
I may have had disappointment that because the emotion and so forth, I didn't have the zest, but I did a really the best I could. See, then, then I'd be disappointed. Regret is I've said, well, I can't do what I normally do because Timothy's sick. And so the power of positive doing is always about achieve your goals. If you're achieving your goals, which are in your control, at worst, you're going to get disappointment. And life has disappointments but you don't want to have regrets. And as a psychologist, I have people come to me all the time with regrets. They actually feel bad. So getting back to the winners and losers, when somebody's a loser, they say, if only. And what they mean by that is if only such and so was different. And one of the problems with excuses, when people give you an excuse, they're saying if only, and you never want to give your coach, your parent, your teacher, or your boss, an excuse. Because if I give you an excuse, I'm saying it's not my fault. And that's not really good. Because it's not my fault. I can't fix it. Fix it. So I say, hey, Liam, you're driving fast in the pit. Oh, sorry, boss. I was behind and under pressure. Oh, look, I really appreciate, Liam, the way you've self-dismissed. You go, what? Well, as you know, it's a joint occupational requirement that you can be safe in the pit. And what you've told me is anytime you're behind and under pressure, you can't be safe. And you will be behind and under pressure in the future. Or conversely, I say, uh, Liam, Mrs. McGillicuddy rang up, upset the way you handled her. Oh, she's the customer from hell. And not only that, that other staff member abused me. Look, I really appreciate, Liam, the way you can't work here anymore. You what? Well, what you're telling me, if we don't have perfect staff and perfect customers, you can't stop yourself abusing them. And it's against the law to abuse him. I appreciate your honesty. I tell the story of the Australian baseball coach years ago. His son said, oh, daddy, I couldn't catch the ball. Son got my eyes. Appreciate that, son. Only play well on cloudy days. So the footy player says, listen, I didn't catch the ball because it's raining. He's a loser. The winner would say, I need to practice wet footballs. So next time it rains, I can catch it. So basically, this is the, the philosophy of positive doing. You're always asking yourself, is what I'm doing making it better? Or is what I'm doing making it worse? Now, you might be the boss from hell. Now, if I said, oh, if only I didn't have Liam as boss, work would be okay. Well, when I'm thinking that way, I'm a loser. But see, I don't have to change anything, it's not my fault. But I say, what's the best way? And rather than saying, if only I didn't have Liam, I move the if the other side. Only if I do what can I make this obstacle an opportunity. Only if I do what make this problem potentiality. So now only if I do what in dealing with that rotten boss named Liam can it make work better for me. Mm. And I can ask myself is my reaction to Liam making it even worse or making it better. And this is a whole thing about controlling the controllables. So getting back to when I was worried about Tim, I could say if only I wasn't worried about Tim I'd give a good presentation. Or I could say only if I do what can I do my best to make this presentation worthwhile? Anyway, that's as an introduction, power of positive doing, not power of positive thinking. Mate, that's fantastic. I really, really like that. It's, it, it makes the conversation around positive psychology um, really tangible and you can retain that sense of agency, which I think is really important. And as soon as you let go of that sense of agency, of, of like you said perfectly, being able to control the controllable, then 
um, your ability to act almost goes out the window. So I think it's a really good foundational place to start is to realize what's controllable and to, and to stay in that lane um, and almost using that as a starting point. The rest hopefully will, will ensue. So really good, um, really good place to start. Obviously, there are some challenges that get in the way. I've heard you talk about the front desk secretary um, of the brain, and I find this stuff really interesting. So could you maybe expand a bit more on what you mean by that? And I guess what, um, what we can do about it. Okay. Now, one of the things I find when people come to me for counseling, now my goal as a psychologist is that people don't need me. They always say the goal of every good manager, teacher, parent, or coach is becoming redundant. Mm. So I'm always trying to make sure I only have to see people once, occasionally twice. Um, but you see what happens is you can't win the game if you don't know the rules of the game. And many people don't understand the way our minds work. Like, for example, I understood that when Timothy is down, I could still stick to plan A. And I understood that I didn't have to feel good to act good, that when I act good, feels good. But if I didn't know that, for example, I remember I was the uh, psychologist at the Olympics at, uh, so at uh, Athens. And there'd been a rower there who four times before Athens, I think it was, had stopped rowing because she got nervous. And the people who were working with her said, listen, we want you to visualize, focus, image, all the things that I believe don't work in sport. And they said, you have to be calm. They said, if only you're calm, can you row? Now, what are the odds in front of 3 billion people being calm? And so what happened was she said, I'm not calm, therefore, I can't row. Now the other seven rowers weren't calm, but they did row. And one of the things I'll talk about in a second is that nerves are just fuel. You don't want to get rid of your fuel. You need fuel to perform. And so what happened was the brain, I'll talk about this in a minute. The brain says, when I give you fuel, do you want to use it to succeed or fail? For example, the fuel in your car is really good, but don't take a match to it. Exactly the same fuel but it was a quite different reaction. So based on this, what I want to do is teach the rules of the game. So there's three basic rules about the brain. That once you understand that, life is much, much easier to deal with. Now, the first one that you just mentioned, how does the brain determine what thoughts to give us? Now, first, I guess you got to understand this. Our brain is our willing slave. So our brain always says, master, what do you want? Now, as I mentioned before, my view is if you can't see it, you can't fix it. So I'd never say to a staff member, you're undisciplined, you're lazy, or whatever. Uh, the reason I don't do that, or you have a bad attitude. See, I've never seen an attitude. I've never seen a lazy. I've never seen a discipline. And the other reason you never say something to somebody like that is because you're judging them. And I've looked in the mirror. The only people who can judge are saints. There's no St. Phil. So what I would say is, listen, I notice you haven't done two to three things. Oh, I see that four to six things have been done badly. Or you're taking seven times longer than somebody else. Now, all those are behaviors of which you can fix. So I don't have to get mad at you. I always tell people in leadership, if you have a discussion with a staff member, you should be able to have a coffee with them afterwards. So often say, Liam, you're not doing this, blah, 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 blah. And you keep away from me. But as your manager, I should you be best ally or a coach, I yell at you. I should you be best ally. So by me saying, hey, Liam, I noticed that you didn't stick to our structures in the second half. See, I'm not angry at you. 
Mm. I'm talking about your behaviors. Or Liam, I notice that your reports are getting in late. See, there's no anger there. And see, anger is where I'm judging you. Whereas in fact, it's not about how I feel about you that's important. It's a fact is that when you join the team or hired on, you said you could follow your performance standards. And either you can or you can't. If you can't, self-dismiss. If you can, do it. You know, what's the handbrake to doing it? And so the brain is the same thing. The brain doesn't look at importance, value, depth, all those things that, whatever that means. So what the brain is, the brain works out, it says, master, I will determine what thoughts to give you by the way you react to those thoughts. In other words, it says, if I give you a thought and you act on it, I'll make the thought louder. But if I give you a thought, you don't act on it, I'll make the thought softer. So for example, uh, and I call this the front desk secretary of the brain, as you mentioned before. It's actually called the brain stem reticular formation, but I talked to footy players. Uh, anyway, so what it is, is if I'm your secretary and I give you a message from Fred Bloggs and you don't ring him, and I give you another message from Fred Bloggs, you don't ring him. And I give you a third message from Fred Bloggs, you don't ring him. I'll stop giving you the message. But if I give you a message from Sam Smith and ring right away, I keep giving the message. And so that's the way the brain works. It's like a front desk secretary. The secretary says, Liam, I gave you that thought and you acted on it and make it louder. I gave you the other thought, you didn't act it cold. So if you get an icy cold water and the brain says, get out, it's cold, and you keep swimming. The brain says, you idiot, get out, it's cold, you keep swimming. The brain says, you moron, get out, it's cold, you keep swimming. It turns it off. It doesn't make it warm, you just can't feel it anymore. But if you get out right away and put your toe in the water, it feels colder. Because by you getting out, you told the brain, I want to know the temperature of the water. Or if every time the phone rings, I pick up a cigarette. As soon as the phone rings, the brain says, master, you need nicotine. Master, you need nicotine. But if every time I pick up the phone, I pick up a carrot. Hmm. Brain says, master, you need carotene. Master, now it's equally addictive. But people say, no, no, nicotine's far more addictive than carotene. But see, the brain doesn't know that. Matter of fact, when I tell people, where do mistakes come from? And they give me this puzzled look. Where do mistakes come from? I say, oh, mistakes come from practice. See, I never accidentally swear in Russian. <laughs> I don't speak Russian. Most people in the sports they're involved in, I can't make their mistakes because I've never practiced them. So if I swear like a trooper all my life and become a priest, I'll be saying, here's the effing Eucharist. Brain hasn't worked out, that's probably not a word you should use in church. Or conversely, if an intimate moment with my wife, I use the wrong name. What's she gonna know? I've been practicing. So again, this is why we tell people in sport, if you don't have first-class practice, you won't get first-class performance in games. Mm. And so it's all about doing what works. So the brain works this out. So the brain says, Master, now, see, I don't get nicotine nor carotene cravings when the phone rings because I don't smoke and I don't eat carrots on the phone. Now, I used to live in a refinery and people said, how do you handle the palm? I couldn't smell it because it didn't react. You'll get ladies putting on some perfume and they, they smell like a perfume factory because they think it's worn off. Or we guys say, hi, people, oh, man, palm. You want to ask, why can't you smell it? People say you're used to it. No. I ask a lady, when you put on perfume, what reaction do you make? You go, pasan, it pulls. 
You make no reaction. So the brain gave you the new scent. You made no reaction. It turns it off. We guys don't go around smelling our armpits. Shouldn't have done that. We don't smell our armpits. So the brain says you don't need it. So you can be out working all day and you smell unbelievably bad, but you can't notice it. I remember years ago when smoking was much more accepted than it is today. Somebody come to the house, said, can I smoke? I said, no. I said, don't worry. I'll send in the, the, the window. Now they had no idea how much that smelled. Non-smokers, we'd smell it because it's totally different. Mm. But they had smoke around them. The best used to happen, people get in your know, motel rooms, you can't smoke. So they have a cigarette. And they go, that's gone. And yet everybody else can smell it. And they have suddenly have this $150 cleaning bill. So that you go to a party and you can't hear anything. And suddenly they hear your name. Because your brain says your name's important. The other stuff's not. Or mom is the only one that could hear the baby cry. You, you can't see me, but I tell people, I like to watch my weight so you can see where I can watch it. And uh, a couple of years ago, I broke my, my wrist. But before that, I used to ride my push bike with my mates about up to 80K every weekend. Now my brain, brain would say to me, listen, you're 70 year old girl, too old to be doing this. Heart goes thump, 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 thump. Breath, <laughs> and everything tells me to slow down, but I pedaled harder. Now at the end of 80K, I was actually less tired than when. No, that makes no sense. Got more lactic acid, dehydration. And you, everybody here who's listening to this and watching this has had the same experience. 10 minutes of training session, you're knackered. An hour later, you're less tired. Mm. Now, what the brain says, I gave you the tired feeling, but since you didn't act tiredly, I'll give you less tired feelings. Now, if I'd got off at the one kilometer, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so tired. I'd have to get off a half kilometer because the brain says, I gave you tired feelings. You act tiredly. And this is why we train. So, this is the first part of the brain. That is, the brain says, if I give you a thought louder, not softer. So I, I had talking to these teenage girls a couple of years ago up in Toowoomba. And it, boys get mad, but girls love to smoke. So if somebody insults them, they get gravel rash on the lips and they sit in the room. And, you know, everybody hates when he worms. And I say to girls, how does it feel sulking? I said, but the sulker's gone. The, the insulter's gone. And they said, but you know, they, they, they hurt my feeling. I said, well, how, how long did you stay in a room? Oh, about three days, okay. So on the fourth day, how'd you feel? Good. So the more you acted down Lee, the brain gave you down feelings. Do you like down feelings? No. So why do you have down feelings? Well, it's not my fault. Yes, it is. I had a squash player come to me years ago. He said, oh, Dr. Jonesy, I get so down in between games, a professional squash player. I said, I want you to get a doll's mirror. Make the ugliest face you can. Make an ugly face for me, Liam. Come on. Liam, ugly face. There you go. You can't feel bad, can you? It's impossible. Put a smile on my face already. It's, it's a, you can't help it. So the brain says, ugly face, happy. Anyway, this girl said it worked so well. In a game, she'd make a mistake. Look at the other girl. Blah, blah. She got in the top 10. I had a cricketer, Australian cricketer one time. I said, listen, when you... Take yourself seriously, don't bowl well, stick your tongue out. And people say, why do you stick your tongue out all the time? Since when I don't stick my tongue out, bowl for Western Australia. When I stick my tongue out, bowl for Australia. Now, this is not really hard. I was running this two-day course in Sydney years ago for St. George Bank, and I had to stay down overnight. But overnight, my stomach said it hated me, vomiting, diarrhea. And uh, went from about 10 to four, and the only reason it stopped at four, nothing left to come out. Anyway. The next morning, I had to 
talk to all these people. Now, I don't know why kittens are sick and kittens are weak and dogs are sick, but I was sick as a dog, weak as a kitten. And I had to get in front of these people. And all my instincts, I'll get back again. All my instincts said, get on your heels. Tell everybody I'm feeling really bad. Now that's made me feel sick and I'm not sick. So what I just do is, hey, people, last night, two orifices and overflow had the Hershey squirts. Did you hear about the cross-eyed teacher? She couldn't control her pupils. Now, immediately, my brain said, you want to feel better. Now, this is a very important fact in life. If you act in Z, the brain will treat you like Z. Z's poor. But if you act in A, the brain will help you be up. Now, just because you're an A doesn't mean things are going to work. As I said, just because I speak quickly, tell bad jokes here, doesn't mean that I'll be successful. But at least I won't have regret. Mm. I stuck to A. I did what I could do. I don't always feel like a loving husband and a loving dad. But I can always act like one. So I have regret if I didn't act like one. I have disappointment if I acted like one and didn't do well. You can't always succeed and everything that you're trying to achieve, but you can achieve if you're acting. Mm. So anyways, I keep saying, you don't have to feel good to act good, but when you act good, it feels good. Absolutely. So that's the first part about the brain. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yes, right. on. Now, the second thing about the brain is the concept of pain. Now, this is where I'm a bit different from others uh, and can be controversial at times. Uh, but basically, when I ask people, what's the purpose of pain? For example, if you're walking barefoot and you step on a thumbtack, why does a brain give you excruciating pain? I would assume to catalyze some sort of action to do something about it. Yeah, the brain is saying, what you're doing now is not working. And unless you change, it's gonna make it worse. Mm. Now, the last thing you would do is anesthetize your foot so you can't feel the pain and leave the thumbtack in. That'd be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? I'm pretty dumb. Now, if you only had a stone in your shoe and you pull the stone out, instantly the pain disappears, correct? Mm -hmm. But if you pull the thumbtack out, <clears throat> the pain doesn't disappear. Why is that? I'm not too sure. Well, because you still have injury. You need to disinfect the injury. You need to protect the injury. So when you put the stone up, there's no more injury. All done. When I felt pain was acting angrily towards you, jealously towards you. I'm sure that the guy driving on safety in the pit felt pain. But the moment I went to plan A, the pain disappeared. Because what I was doing was making things better and there was no resultant harm. Whereas the pin in the foot, the tack in the foot, there still is continuing harm. So the whole thing about any time we get pain, whether it be emotional or physical, pain is really good. It was really important that I experienced pain when I was dealing with you as a boss badly. The last thing I want to do is get rid of that. Mm. If I have a fire on the floor here and the alarm up there goes off, the last thing you do is turn off the alarm first. The alarm says you have a problem and it'll keep going till you fix it. But for me to pull out the battery, is lousy. But yes, yeah, what I find quite often people have hassles. And somebody said, well, be positive. Breathe. Getting back to that uh, person at the Olympics who was getting nervous. They said, well, you're getting pain. But the brain says your reaction to competition is not working. But they got to be positive. 
feel good about herself. Now, it's a basic law of physics. For things to change, things have to change. Mm. So we need to deal with the fire. But what's happened is we have what's called uh, real diseases and invented diseases. And what I mean by that, and it's not my term, a guy named uh, Robert Spillane invented it. And what it means is if I couldn't go to a doctor and say, I think I've got cancer and get drugs, because this is a real disease. And before they can do anything for it, I need to have clinical evidence. And the reason for the clinical evidence is if you don't have a cause, you can't get a cure. So they look for the ideology cause, so they can work out a cure. Mm. I say, I think of multiple sclerosis. Again, you need to get the ideologists. In their cases, we don't have a cure for multiple sclerosis, but you do have ways of limiting it and slowing it down, whatever. When I broke my wrist a couple of years ago, I couldn't say, can you just put a cast on it? No, we need to get an x-ray. So we make sure that it heals. But if I go to a doctor and say, listen, my marriage is breaking up. This is what's called an emotional condition, right? This is an invented conditions. You can't see them. So if it's a condition, they don't worry about a cause. Now, if you don't find a cause, what can't you get? A cure. A cure. A cure. You yeah. can't get a cure. You need the both seeds. You need the cause to get the cure. No cause, no cure. So if I go to a mechanic and I say, listen, my car is making a lot of noise. He says, well, listen, let's put a couple of banana peels into it to make it quieter. It's not going to fix it. But when he says, oh, I can notice that your venturi is not working. It's affecting your carburetor. Now, by him working out the cause, he's going to generate a cure. No cause, no cure. When I was having trouble with you as a boss, I'm saying, what's the problem there? What can I do? As I started calling causes of my pain, I can come up with some cures. Maybe not fixing it, but certainly making it better. So I go to a doctor and say, listen, I'm, I'm, my marriage is breaking up. I'll leave with the prescription. Now, there's nothing wrong with me. And what there's a view is, is that people believe when you have emotional issues, if it's just something easy. I mean, there are emotional issues caused by hormones and chemicals and all sorts of things, pituitary glands, so forth. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about where we just don't feel good. Mm. Those girls, when they were sulking in their rooms, felt pain. And the brain said, since you're acting painfully, we'll give you more pain. Now, what they need to do is address the pain. Ah, me sulking isn't working. So I need to come up with a better strategy. And uh, so I need to deal with the fire, not the flame. So if I go to a doctor say my knee's hurting, immediately he gives me more pain. That's not because he's cruel. Physios do this the same. They wait till it hurts and push harder. Now, it's not because they're cruel. It's because the more pain they can generate, the more they understand the cause. So therefore, they can come up with rehabilitation, a cure, or at least make it more manageable. Mm. Now, uh, if I go to a doctor and say I'm depressing, you notice I use the word depression, not the noun, because I've never seen the noun. <clears throat> He'll think I mean depression. And immediately he says, oh, this is a condition. So for conditions, what we'll do is he says, you need to take time off work. I say, no, that's stopping more. Don't worry, I'll give you an antidepressant. So you can't feel it. But see, that's not helping me. Here, I was Dr. Phil long before that guy in America. By the way, I was born in Adelaide, if you want to understand. There you go. That's a long story about the accent. But anyway, um, what happened 
is uh, this lady rang me up one time. She said, oh, Dr. Phil, I'm so depressed. I can't get out of bed. What should I do? And of course I said, get out of bed. And she felt better. She, she was depressing. When she stopped depressing, the brain kept stopped giving her depressing thoughts, or at least reduced it. Mm. Um, I, mean, so, I mean, sometimes you could be depressing about having lost your job, your partner's run off with somebody else, whatever. But at least you've got to say, is what I'm doing working? Uh, this um, guy come to me a few years ago, real estate agent, and he said, oh, Phil, my life's spiraling out of control. I said, okay. So what's happened? He said, oh, my wife, wife's left me. And so I said, well, what have you changed? Because I always find people, when they're happy, have a plan A. When they're unhappy, have a plan Z. Mm. So I said, what were you doing before life spiraled out of control? He said, oh, every morning, I'd get up and go for a run. Then I'd have a nutritious meal. And when I got to work, I made sure I found at least three people in the office to go to, have a smile with, maybe a joke. I made sure I made three phone calls. And if within an hour, I didn't have anywhere to go, I'd still get on the road to see some properties. I said, so what are you doing now? So I'm not going for a run. Okay. I'm not having a nutritious meal, but a bit of hooch. Um, I'm not talking to people at work. I'm not making the phone calls, not getting on the road. Now there's three basic rules of sales. Rule number one is see the people. Rule number two is see the people. Rule number three is see the people. Now he stopped seeing the people. Now his brain was giving him pain. I said, mate, why don't you go back to plan A? But my wife, I know your wife's left you, but what you're doing is not working. Go back to plan A. Anyway, a week later, he rang me up and said, listen, it's amazing how my life's better. I'm now running, talking, all those things. And not only that, now my wife who's left me is willing to talk to me. See, what happens in relationships? When things go wrong, you go to Zed. I had this guy tell me one time, I don't think my wife loves me. I think, so I had an affair. So that helped. I mean, you can see how dumb we are at times. And so by going to plan A, it works. So that's the key here is that anytime I have pain, mm. my brain says, if you're having pain, go back to plan A. Now, this takes us to the third step. And this is where the brain says, anytime something's important to you, I will give you more fuel. But I'm not sure where you want to use that fuel to succeed or fail. Now, again, based on what I've been telling you, how does the brain work out if you want to succeed or fail? Uh, your actions, what you're doing. Absolutely. If you mm. stick with A, mm. it helps you succeed. Now, an illustration I give this, my office is a rectangle, as you might be able to see. Now, if I put a plank across this floor and you're here and I say, Liam, I want you to walk the plank. That'd be difficult without touching the carpet. Piece of cake, dead easy. So we mm. now know that you can walk that plank, no, no trouble at all. So I put that same plank outside 10 stories over the road. There's no wind, beautiful day. But I take a gun to your head and say, if you don't walk, I'm gonna shoot you dead. Now it becomes hard, but it's exactly the same task. Right. So what is the difference? When you start thinking, I don't want to die, now, if I say, don't think of an apple, what do you think of? An apple. An apple. But you see, it's not the thought that matters. So if somebody stands up, when we're walking, we always look ahead and lean forward. That's what the brain says. 
So it's our computer does it. If I toss a tennis ball to catch, you lean forward and catch it. So the brain always says, when you want to achieve something, you always lean towards a goal. So if I'm a batsman in cricket, I'm leaning towards the bowler. Now, when the ball hits the bat, I don't watch the ball hit the bat. I look for gaps. The computer hits the ball to the gaps. Now, if I'm worried about getting out, I lean towards the keeper. I turn my computer off. The ball hits the bat. I watch it, and I look for fielders, which isn't very successful. And so the key here is always getting the computer on. If I toss a tennis ball, you lean forward to catch it. Now, if I say it's full of nitroglycerin, and if you drop it, you're going to die. Where's the first place you lean? Back. Now, as soon as you lean back, you turn your computer off. So now your elbows go tight and you push out, which helps you drop the ball. Now, fortunately, I want you, I'm watching you now, Liam. I want you to be really tense, hands together tight. Can I see you did that? Can you put your hands a bit higher, tight? Now, just open your elbows and go like that. Notice how your brain says you can catch the ball now? Mm-hmm. See, what happens is it's almost dead easy to reboot your computer so that what happens is that the moment you land forward to reboot it's like if your battery's dead doesn't start your starter motor doesn't get your engine going doesn't get your processor going doesn't get your wheels going what happens if you push the car get the wheels going gets processor going should you have a manual engage the clutch starts the engine charges the battery so like me speaking quickly telling bad jokes rebooted my computer when tim was in the hospital when i felt crook and so you can always reboot your computer. So what the brain is saying is, are you going to A or Z? So as soon as you land forward, after a couple of steps, you find it could go forward. Now, we're not in the right situation, but when I give this to audience, I get people to stand up. And I say, listen, I want you to stand up. And when they stand up, I say, lean on your heels. And you feel bad. And I say, get in a stance. Stance is where you put your left foot forward, and your balance. And as soon as you get in the stance, you feel good. Now, the, the key here about this is that People call performance anxiety, they think it's bad. But see, the last thing you want to do is say, hey, coach, I was so nervous, I reduced my fuel by 50%. See, if rather than saying those swimmers didn't swim well because they're nervous, which makes sense, they said those swimmers didn't swim well because they had too much fuel, that makes no sense. And so what happens is, as a performance psychologist and sport, acting, music. I always say to people, when you get more fuel, make sure you stick to plan A. I had this 13-year-old girl now. She's gone on to actually represent Australia. But years ago, she came to me. She's a track and field runner. And she said to me, I said, why are you here? I always ask people why they're here. And people only come to me in pain. Nobody comes to me and says, my marriage is great. My sport's great. My business is great. Now, if they're in pain, just seeing you've been paying attention, Liam, what do I know if somebody's in pain, emotional pain? Uh, there, you could probably tell their actions. They'd be depressing. They'd what be, they're doing is not the, working. What they're what doing, they're doing is, is not working. working. Yeah. So if somebody says I'm depressing, well, what you're doing is not working. I had the school um, a few years of high school, and they had this thing called mates talk change. So if you're down, just talk to somebody. The problem is when they talk to somebody, the person didn't know what to say. So I had to tell them about this. And somebody says, oh, I'm really down. Oh, what have you changed? Oh, go back to plan A. What were you doing when you weren't down? You know, this is pretty simple. A baseball player said to me once, it's not rocket surgery. I find it hard to say rocket science nowadays. But the same guy said the um, leopard doesn't change his stripes. Anyway, the, um, the point here is that 
what the brain is always asking you which one to go. So I said, this girl, why are you here? She said, I get really nervous. I said, nothing wrong with that. That's true. She says, no, I vomit. Well, that's not good. I said, when you go to the lower meets and uh, you run fast and don't vomit, what do you do in the car? I talk rubbish. Okay. And when you get to the track, what do you do? I run around talk to other kids. All right. And said, when you go to the important meets, what do you do in the car? I'm quiet. And when you get to the track, what do you do? I stick to myself. See if you got this straight. When you run, when you talk rubbish in the car, run around at the track, you run fast and don't vomit. When you're quiet in the car, quiet at the track, you run slowly and you vomit. And you want to run fast and not vomit. What do you think to do tomorrow? So go into Queensland track me. So go to plan A. She broke three Queensland records. See, the brain said by you sticking to A, I'll help you perform. By Z, if you fail, I had this racing car driver years ago, he, about 20 years ago, it's almost semi-retired now. He said, I was racing over in Beijing and I got really nervous and I raced badly. I said, what did you change? So don't want to remember about my nerves? No, that's just fuel. What did you change? So normally I walked the track before a race, but in Beijing I didn't. Normally I took a lot over the two-way. In Beijing I didn't. And then I looked up and saw my hands are on the steering wheel. His computer was off. Now, if you're driving over 200K an hour, you want the computer on? Absolutely. So I said, Meg, go back to plan A. He won four of the next five races in Australia. And just before he retired, guess what he was still doing at Bathurst? Walking the track, talking the talk. And so let's imagine, Liam, you're my 800-meter runner in the Olympics. And you're in the final. So you're one of the eight fastest runners in the world. I said, listen, Liam, you got here using plan A. If you use plan A tomorrow, you got 97% chance of getting gold. But since it's really important, let's go to plan Z, which gives you 53%. Now, what would you do with me as a coach? I'd be pretty keen to stick with plan A. You, you, you'd think so. And so what I keep teaching, when people say they fail, they change. I had this uh, ex-world champion surfer said, oh, Phil, I do really well in the heats and badly in the finals. So I said, what do you change? On the heat, I just pick up the first board, look where I'm going, and take the first wave. What do you do in the finals? I focus, evil, because when you focus, where's your weight go? Back. He says, I check out the board. So you turn off the computer before you even get into the water. Then I look at the opposition. Then I see what they do first. See if you got this straight. When you don't look at the board, don't do the opposition, take first wave, score high. When you do look at the board, do look at the opposition, don't take first wave, score low. You want to score high. What are you going to do tomorrow? He said, go back to plan A. I had another surfer that said to me, oh, Phil, Dr. Phil, I get really scared surfing in Tahiti. He said, how do you surf if you're not scared? He said, like this. How do you surf if you are scared? Like this. I said, go like this. He said, that it? To yes. In Aussie rules. Now, I find it really interesting. Aussie rules players, when they take a mark and they see another player unmarked 40 meters away, they'll miss him about more than a meter, about 3% of the time. Mm. Now, what's the accuracy in the AFL kicking for goal from a mark? About 53% last I yeah. checked. Now, are the skills any different in kicking for goal? Notice you don't kick for a player, but kicking for goal and kicking to a Are the skills any different? No. Identical. So why do they kick worse? Now, what I've just told you. Well, the, the pressure's on their, and their performance, their habits change. There's pressure. How much is it weigh? What, what, what do you know, Colin? Be a performance psychologist. 
Why do they kick worse? So, well, they, they're not following plan A. They've changed, objectively. They've, they've changed yeah, what they're yeah, doing, um, yeah. And I've played, I've grown up playing AFL getting, and I'm, I can relate to that more than you can imagine. Yeah, so, so you know, the Lions used to love giving me a ball. When I played rugby league, I was so bad, it never got sledged. But uh, the Lions used to love giving me a ball down in Melbourne to kick because Victorians thought it was biomechanically impossible to, uh, for me to, uh, to kick the way I kick. Matter of fact, I look like a drunken giraffe on stilts when I kick, and that's insulting to the giraffe. Now, I could never be out of form in Aussie rules, could I? No. To be out of form, what do you have to be? In form, correct? Correct. So if I can kick 97% accurately to another player, there's nothing stopping me kicking accurately to goal, as long as I don't change. Right. See, again, and I, I get really embarrassed trying to show this, but when you take a mark and you see a player forward, you lean over the ball and you look at the player. You do not look at the ball. You look at the player, look at the player, get back far enough from the mark where you can kick it, correct? Absolutely. Would you ever say this, wait, wait, wait. <sighs> Turn around, walk back, pull up your socks. Would you ever do that kick it to a player? No. No. So why do you do it in a game? Well, I want to turn off my computer, which it seems pretty stupid to me. We had a midfielder for the Lions years ago, and he kicked two out in the full. Now, as far as I can remember, between the goals, it must have been seven yards because it's 6.4 meters mm. between the posts. So if you miss, if you kick it out by three and a half meters on the full, you've missed by 14 meters. Now, if you miss kicking to a player by 14 meters, there's something really wrong. Mm. And you, when you kick to a player and they catch it, you don't go, yes. So this guy kicked two on the foot. He said, mate, what you need to do is go back to plan A. So when you take a mark and you're kicking for goal, first you think you're kicking to goal. And you're kicking over the umpire's head. There's one constant. The umpire is always there. Don't turn around. Don't look at the ball. And don't take your time. It took him 15 months before he missed his first set shot for goal. Wow. And in that, because a little midfielder, it's 55 meters out. And uh, he hit the inside post. So in two years, he went from kicking less than 50% to kicking over 97%. So why would you, when you're kicking for goal, go to Zed like the 800 meter runner I was just talking about? Why would you, well, you need, I mean, why do you have to look down, kick the ball hands in between? We well, gotta be balanced. Well, if you kicked another player, never do that. Why, why are you doing that? Well, everybody knows you need to concentrate. Well, turn your computer off. Another illustration I give this is in music. Now, if I'm a clarinet player, practicing in front of the mirror, because I have a concert at Carnegie Hall in two days time, all the skills I have in front of the mirror, exactly the same in front of Carnegie Hall. There'll only be one difference. In front of Carnegie Hall, I'll have more fuel. Now remember, when you get more fuel, you tend to get more tense. And if you get more tense, you tend to self-sabotage. And here's another third part of the brain. The brain says, when I give you more fuel, if what you're doing is not working, I will give you pain. If you try to fix it, I'll give you even more energy to succeed. But if you don't try to fix it, I'll help you self-sabotage. So going out to be an Aussie Rules player, when you're kicking for goal badly, how does that feel? Bad. Appreciate when, when you're kicking to a player successfully, how's that feel? Good. Normal. Yeah, now, good. If, yeah. As you start doing all that routine kicking for goal and you feel bad, the brain says, now, Liam, try to fix it. 
So if you immediately smiled, whatever, feel better. Like when you went like that, immediately your brain felt better. As soon as you leaned forward, looked at the, at the plank, you felt better. And so what happened is that people keep going to Zed and they made it worse. And so this midfielder had been going to Zed. I remember one game we're down by six points and Jonathan Brown took a mark about 60 meters out at an oblique angle. And he said to me after the game, I just remembered, just go back, kick quickly. Because that's what I do in a game. You know, have forward top kick. Now he kicked the goal. Now there are six points down. All his instincts were saying fail. I was riding my push bike down the hill around here years ago. And I, with my weight, I go as fast as I can down the hill to get the other side. And a youth came with extended mirrors, bumps the bike, bike starts wobbling. I saw the trees, the truck tires, and all my instincts said, slow down, which is the worst thing you can do in a wobble because forward momentum helps it. The slower you go in to kick towards goal, the worse your kick's going to be. The faster you go, the better your kick's going to be. Is that fair? You're Mate, fair? No, absolutely. You're too right. Yeah. So why do you slow down? Oh, it's important. You know, we got to go to plan Z so we don't get a gold medal. Anyway, um, so I, I, I taught myself, even if you don't know what your plan A is, do the opposite of what you want to do. We used to have a, a guy for the, for the Alliance, Nigel Lappin, and he used to always talk to Jason Ackmanis about this, that the difference between good teams and poor teams is a change over time. Most people, when there's a turnover, they go about three seconds before they turn over. Because you've had a turnover, you go back, oh, have to get on defense now. Oh, and they slow down. Nigel's the guy who had one second. And he was always one of these guys who would run hard upfield and run just as hard backfield. And of course he was all Australian because he worked out, yes, it sucks that the ball got turned over. But instead of acting sucking Lee, he started running. Mm. And instantly the transition was much better. And all sports have what's called transition but especially sports like also rules, basketball, uh, soccer, those sorts of things. The teams that transition the, the, best, the fastest are the winners. Mm. And so here's a guy, he just worked out, what can I do to immediately get my computer back on? So getting back to the clarinetist, now in front of Carnegie Hall, I'm gonna have more nerves. So I want you to pretend, can you stand up? Are you like, can you, I'm you? pretty tall, so you might miss me, but yeah. That's okay. That's all right. Doesn't have to see your face. Now, I want you to grab the clarinet, feet tight, hands, a big black stick, elbows in tight. All right, tight. Now, just put your non-dominant foot forward. So I'm right foot, so I put my left foot forward, lean forward, elbows wide, and lift up the clarinet. Notice that your brain says you can play clarinet. Mm -hmm. Now, Mike, you can sit down again. My point about that is that I worked with Anna, I'm sure you know, Academy of Music. And the Australian, um, the, the Melbourne University did a study of my stuff. And they said, Phil, we found one surprising thing. We weren't surprised that the group you worked with did better than the group you didn't work with. What surprised us was they both had the same amount of performance anxiety. See, traditionally, if you have anxiety, you need to reduce your anxiety. But as I said, why would you reduce your fuel? See, the mm. brain gave that clarinetist more fuel. It's like if I have a microphone, I don't change how I speak. The microphone just hits it louder, what I'm saying. 
So the last thing he said, well, now I'm on the microphone, better change how I talk because, you know, it's a microphone and the audience wants something different from it so that you can hear everything I have to say. <laughs> now, obviously, that'd be pretty stupid to do. So people tell me, you know, one thing we know about you, Phil, wherever you are, your jokes are always that bad. All right. You know why people call me a bubble? I'm a drip with a swell head. Anyway, uh, and by the way, you can tell I'm not two-faced because it was, wouldn't be wearing this one. <laughs> now, my point about that is, Everybody knows me about bad jokes because that's me. So basically, uh, there's another story talking about the going down the bike. Another story, my wife and I are in Canada a few years ago and we're way off the beaten track, middle of the forest on this small little trail in the forest. And about 40 meters in front of me, I saw this big black mama bear and her cub about half her size. And I must've leaned back because I was scared. And all my instincts that were wrong, they said, run, which says, bear, get some exercise before you eat. It said, scream, bear, here's where your food is. Freeze, bear, here's some easy food for you to get. I had no idea what to do, so I stood up and got in this stance. That's with my non-dominant foot forward, leaning forward. And my brain instantly said, sing. So I went, the hills are alive with the, and mama bear went, but baby bear kept coming with the sound of music. And baby bear went. And my wife said, how did you know to do that? I said, I didn't. But the brain said, since I tried to fix it, it gave me the ability to move forward. Mm. Now, I found out later on that singing let the bear know it's a non-hostile way, and it didn't want to be around me, and all that sort of stuff. And so we hear all these stories of people in intense situations, but because of trying to fix it, they get the ability to make things better. So anyway, I've gone on for a long time, but those are the That's three awesome. rules. Yeah, Man, that, that, that is fantastic. So much value in that. I feel like we can unpack that for hours. Um, I think that, uh, so that whole conversation, particularly around uh, getting back to plan A, it's so relatable, obviously in sports and some really good examples there, of course, in the, in the work and corporate world. But I think it's just as applicable for everyday life. And then that then predisposes, I suppose, that you know what plan A is. So I've heard you talk a bit about self-awareness as well, which I think is really important. Gets a lot of airtime in today's world. This um, become almost a buzzword, which is good in a way because it's super crucial. So how do people, I suppose, start with that first variable of actually knowing what plan A is uh, for themselves? You touched on it there. Um, And funnily enough, I'm quite similar. You like to speak fast, tell bad jokes. I'm quite similar. Um, We're also quite similar in that we're both mozzies, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, but for people that are maybe listening or watching and wondering, that all sounds brilliant. I get what we're talking about here, but I'm actually not 100% sure with what I do when I feel best. Where can they start? Well, I think actually you got to put yourself under a videotape. Imagine I'm saying videotape. Who has videotapes anymore? But where you're actually thinking, looking at yourself when you're an A. Uh, I worked with these kids in golf. And when I say kids, grade 7 to grade 12, and I actually walked them through it. When you're feeling good, how do you pull the club out of the bag? It's interesting. When you feel good, you lean over the bag. When you feel bad, you're behind the bag. Um, what, what are you doing? I walked them through. And we actually did this little spreadsheet. What are you doing when you're driving to an event when you feel good? Bad. So my wife is the opposite to me. Her computer, and you've got to watch out. We'll talk about this on the profiles, that Microsoft and Apple are really good computers. But if you don't put Microsoft and an Apple, Apple and a Microsoft, this is what coaches can stuff up because mm. coaches can actually they're saying 
if I was you, I'd do this. See, but empathy is not what I do in your shoes because what Phil Jones would do in your shoes is irrelevant. So if Russ did my plan A, she would fail. If she talked before going to something and ran around acting an idiot, would fail. See, with me, I got to get there as late as I can, talk the absolute rubbish and not think about it. Uh, and that works for me. So you, if you don't know, just look, get, ask yourself in a video or ask people around you, what do you see me doing when I'm A and Z? So what do you do when you're getting, what do you do when you arrive? What do you do at breakfast table when you're feeling good? What do you do when you arrive at work? What do you know? And it's just A, Z, A, Z. But if you're not sure, as I said about the um, riding the bike in, in, in Canada, it's just what you want to do when you feel bad, don't. Yeah. Whatever you want to do is almost always going to be wrong. Now, it's a rule of thumb. Somebody once said, the only thing you'd be absolutely sure of when you're absolutely sure you're right is that you're wrong. Because we human beings, there's no, we're not like hardest physics where everything's exact. But it's a really good uh, rule of thumb. And so when you say self-awareness, that sounds like, you know, almost existential that I know about my essence and what makes me tick and so forth. What I'm really saying is just, just ask yourself and others, what's my A and Z? What, what am I doing when I'm feeling good? So when I go to church, what am I doing when I had a good day at church? What do I have a bad day at church? When I went to the pub, what did I do that was good, what was bad? And, and I could go on and on and on. And you just keep asking those questions. And remember, the brain will always give you pain. What you're doing is not working. Now, you can anesthetize the pain for a little bit, get drunk, but the next day the pain comes back. Tenfold. Or you can get high on drugs. Yeah. And, of course, the thing about that is it's like if you put concrete over weeds, they still find a way to get through. And our brain says, Master, I have to keep giving you pain. So if you anesthetize it, I'll just find a way. So you'll have to take more anesthetic, more drugs, more whatever to get the pain. So always acknowledge the pain and then find what's reducing the pain. And the very fact that you're aware that you're embracing the pain, you'll find out what your ANZ is. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's talk about profiling then. Um, I want to make the most of the time we've got together. So I, saw, I joked earlier that we're both mozzies. For people listening, they might not know what that means. So give us an overview of these um, four different personalities. I guess a summary of what they mean and um, how, how the information is important to everyday life. Okay, so back in 1986, uh, Wayne Bennett was working at Queensland State of Origin. And he asked me to come up with some way because he noticed that a couple of players in the team who were really good players in the position, but they changed the effect on the, on, the, on, the, on the pack, the forwards. And he wanted to know, how can I predict what they're different? And so I, after a failure, I came up with this thing, and uh, it's now done about 40,000 of them. And all I did is I took something I picked up at a party years ago in the United States and mixed it with Greek philosophers 2,500 years ago. Now, I'd like to say it was so brilliant, but I think it's another orifice that uh, I was using to get it in. <laughs> uh, but I've been really fortunate because it's now been translated into um, French, Spanish, Bengali, and Sinhalese. Um, and we've had six out of those that were inaccurate. Normally, these things, they say, if you get um, anywhere from uh, five out of 100, that's pretty good, called 0.05, uh, mm. is acceptable. So people say, why has it been so accurate? Well, there's two reasons. Firstly, I kept it really, really simple, because I'm pretty simple. And secondly, uh, it's that it's descriptive, not prescriptive. For example, we talk about us being Mozzies. Mozzies have poor attention to detail, and we're easily distracted. So that doesn't mean there's an excuse for me to handle in poor detail things, being late. No, 
what I've done, because I know that, I put in things called early lines. As a lecturer back in the old days when I went to university, and in those days, you know, you had to change type library and you couldn't just change your Word document. And so if I had an assignment due in seven weeks, I assumed it needed to be done in six weeks. And I treated it as a real early line or deadline. And so that if I failed in that, I had a week to fix it because I knew I'd probably get distracted. So that if I, I you asked me to do something tomorrow by five o'clock, I'll assume I have to be done by three. And they, that means early lines means that because I know I get distracted, I put a buffer in there. Because if you pass a deadline, you're dead. Pass an early line, you're still alive. And likewise, I know attention to detail is poor. So if you ring me on the cordless, a uh, hands-free phone, I'll say, can you send me an email or ring Roz? Roz is my wife, who uh, is very uh, structured. Can you ring her and let her know? Because I put things in place. It's no excuse for me having poor attention to detail. So my, my profile says that I will hate study. And I do. And I got four degrees and a doctorate. Because my lecturers never cared whether I liked study or not. It's like in cricket. It's a ball of the bat. Care how you feel. Likewise, my profile says that um, I hate writing assignments. And again, I've written three books. You know, I've got lots of articles I've written. So if, that, if the profile had been prescriptive, say, Phil, you shouldn't go to uni. You shouldn't write books. And that's what I get really annoyed when do that. But you can actually, there are certain jobs. Somebody said this job requires a lot of attention to detail. It's not me. I remember I was working for a company one time. They wanted me to do a lot more tender documents. And because as a tender, you know, a committee designs a horse, ends up with a camel. Well, tender documents are like that. Everybody got their bits in. So you had to find the horse and the camel. I could do that. And they said, Phil, we, wanted, we want you to do that full time. And I'm a people person. And sitting in front of documentation, writing things out, wasn't. So I just told him I wasn't Elvis Presley. He didn't love me tender. And uh, so that, that was a wrong job for me. So there's certain jobs when people describe, I say, it's not for me. Likewise, as a coach, I know that because I'm so big picture, I have to give details for the people who are detailed. Mm. Because as a coach, I'm talking more than just my own personality. So anyway, I, I dug up this and I found that there's two major bipolar scales where we differ. You have people like me that are very external and verbal, I learn by doing, not by watching and listening. Um, I, after a game, I don't want to debrief. I want to move forward. Uh, my wife is internal. She learns more by watching and listening. And she wants to debrief the game before she moves forward. Now, I keep telling people there's no good or bad profile. Because my profile emphasizes that I move forward. So it means I don't fix problems. I don't listen enough. Now, conversely, my wife doesn't speak up enough, doesn't move forward enough because she goes, well, now it's a paralysis. Now, because I talk and move on, uh, I have a higher self-esteem than people below the line. So what happens is that people below the line, it's got an X axis when you draw it. It's just, I used to count up the numbers in each quadrant. Anyway, uh, what happens is the people who are below the line, and the more unconfident you are, you go below the line. And so they have a lower self-esteem because they keep analyzed, which means they're not up themselves, they're not arrogant. I had a, a football player for the Lions years ago, and he was all Australian for almost 15 years. His third last game, he came up to me and said, Phil, I'm worried. I said, what's wrong? It was actually feel good. 
had one game beforehand, he felt good because these people are already doubting themselves. And we used to get people in similar groups. And I do this for all the teams I work with. So that we got people who are all similar in that group. And I think it was, they were saying, you know, if Lee hasn't talked to us for a few years, we think he's annoyed at us. And I'm thinking, he doesn't use telepathy. <laughs> See, that's what they did. What happens is when they get annoyed, they give you subtle hints and they stop talking to you. Now, Lee was just too busy dealing with other things. So Lee, I always did the coaches the profile. So he made sure he talked to all those sorts of players. Um, and it's about half the team that they needed to be talked to. People like us. And uh, I had a, a, an, another, uh, that football player I was just talking about. Uh, he'd learned that he's never going to believe in himself, but he can still play well. Now, I went down to um, Melbourne one time. There's an Olympic fencer. She said, Phil, I'm ranked fifth in the world. Why don't I rate myself? And I told her about the footballer. When I told the footballer about her, he said, welcome to the club, baby. And so uh, I had a Bangladeshi cricketer. He said, oh, I don't feel confident. And I mentioned an all-Australian top cricketer who didn't feel confident either because it was his profile. He said, oh, he's a very good cricketer. And that cricketer, that Bangladesh cricketer went out and got a century. Because what had happened, they thought they had to feel confident to play confidently. Now, the good thing about that group is they're never arrogant. They're not up themselves. They take responsibility. People above the line like us, we quite often don't take responsibility and we can be arrogant. And so it's no good or bad. It's like you bring a big, strong player on, you lose somebody small and agile. You bring somebody small and agile, there's no good or bad profile. Right. So that's the difference. The other difference is you have structured and unstructured. Now, if you're like me, I learn inductively. That is, if you want to show me how to tackle, show me somebody tackling well. The structured people, they want to step one, step two, step three. Now, Sherlock Holmes was never deductive, he was inductive, despite Watson saying brilliant deduction, Sherlock, because he went to the crime scene. Mm. So the way we learn is big picture. Don't give us too many details. For example, as a basketball coach, I take the kids up to the basket and say, where's the easiest basket in basketball? And they say, oh, about 45 degrees, about a meter away from the basket. That's easy shot. So on defense, where do I want the opposition to be? There, good point. Where's the hardest shot in basketball? Right in the corner. So where's the defense? Where do I want to put the opposition? In the corner. Now, all the big picture people love that. But the other kids say, can you just play sheet? And they need the details. So my wife learns by what, when, how. I learn by why. And so you have to learn that there are differences. Universities and school teach what, when, where, how. And so that used to make me do really poorly because I was trying to learn in their way. And of course, you put the wrong software the wrong way. Once I finally said, when a lecture lectures, don't write on the notes. And why is he saying this? And when, a, um, when I was reading a textbook, I'd read all the words and couldn't remember a word. So I'd look, what's the page trying to tell me? I reduced my study time by 66% and I increased my marks by 50%. In other words, I was working less, more. And so what happens is when we look at those things, you come up with four profiles. And we don't have time to go in depth because matter of fact, I actually tell people that I only let people do profiles either in one of my presentations yep. or for somebody who really understands it. For example, you mentioned Jason Akamanis. He understands it. Lee Matthews, Wayne Bennett. They understand it. So I'll do profiles from have companies that have been doing it for years. But I don't understand it because I'm, I'm worried that somebody will take it prescriptively rather than descriptively. So what happens, you get the four types. You mentioned Mozzie. I'm a Mozzie. You're a Mozzie. Mozzie's buzz around, very distractible, which means 
we don't think on the job. So we have, we have the, we're the ones that have to do the best first class practice because we never think and play. So we have to have good instincts. And so we, we, we're very distractible. And I mentioned before, all those things are put in place to help that. So when you think models, you think buzzing around, no pattern or distinction. And yet our brain knows as Mozdis that we have a subroutine working. I have a last, sometimes, you know, in junior sport, coaches that get people three weeks try to change players. There's a 15 year old girl, hockey player. And uh, she got selected for Victorian regional under 17s. And she's a Mozzie. She goes, and her instincts, we catch things. Yeah. Because the computer, see what happens when we're walking in the jungle, the brain knows we're not paying attention. The subroutine watches for that arrow coming or the tiger in the bushes. We didn't even realize when we went back, why we went back. So when our computer's on, we have good instincts. Now she was a Mozzie, but the coach, and she would be singing, fooling and go, no, you must be quiet and serious. You must follow the ball. And she rang me up because she knew me. Her dad, me and I knew her dad. And she said, should I do that? I said, no. Tell her the strain performance psychologist said, you got, and I showed her an ice hockey keeper who was always fooling around and stuck his leg out, caught the ball and shot because his computer caught it. See, this guy was a thinker, and we'll talk in a minute. Thinkers think about what they're doing as they're doing it. Mozzie's don't. Anyway, that girl not only made the uh, did well in the regional side, made the Victorian side. And yet the coach, by being well-meaning, put it on it. We had a coach, a Queensland coach years ago, had a young kid from State High School, made Sheffield Shield when it was actually a competitive competition. And he was, a, when he was a fast bowler, he hated the batsman. He said to this young high school kid, you got to hate, but he was a mozzie. And so he got dropped and coaches, so I didn't have it. John Buchanan came in and used my profiles. He said, oh no, you got to have fun. That bowler bowled for 10 years for Australia. Now the coach meant well, because he said, I made it to the top level by hating. Obviously that's an ingredient to make it. Now, conversely, if that kid had been the coach coaching that fast bowler and said, you're going to have fun, it wouldn't have worked either. So that's, that's mozzies. Now, that coach is what we call an enforcer. Damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. Now, these people have a really thick skin, and they get it done. And they have no, not, they'll call a spade a shovel. And enforcers are good, but they're also very close to getting angry. Because the big thing about an enforcer is being in control. And when they're not in control, they get angry. So if I was playing an enforcer, I'd niggle him. So he gets mad at me. So he's placed me, not the game. I had a state league, a rugby league coach say to me, you get so angry at players not doing things, so he's enforcer. And he was saying, if only the player do the right thing, he said, mate, you got to move the if to the other side. Only if I do what? In training, I'll stop him doing that. Now, as an enforcer, that put him back in control. See, when the player's in the wrong thing, he had no control. By him being back in control, he stopped yelling, and they won a premiership. Simply by enforcer. So enforcer's greatest strength is drive. The weakness is they don't always listen. I had a, a bowler one time for Australia, and he said, Phil, I'm an enforcer. What's that mean? It means you're stubborn. No, I'm not. Anyway, so you can see how that works. So both Mozzie's and enforcers love to talk, don't like to listen, don't like being sedate. Then you get down to what's called a thinker. A thinker is like that coach or something before. They need structure. My wife's a thinker. She needs to get there early, needs to know what's expected, needs to have a plan, needs to have structure. And as she gets more confident in that structure, she goes in the enforcer. So you find players that are thinkers as the games gets closer. I, I talk about this thing uh, where a, a butterfly, when it changes metamorphosis, when it changes to a, uh, 
from a caterpillar or a butterfly. Uh, it goes through metamorphosis. And what happens is these players go from being a thinker to enforcer, and we'll talk about feelers in a second, to mozzi. So that as they get closer to the game, they get more in battle mode because they're more confident. But thinkers need to go through it. Now, thinkers often, uh, the, a footballer once said, I can't get any sleep. And what he was doing, he was thinking about the game generally. You know, when you think about things, you don't fix it. It's really, if only I hadn't made those mistakes. And I said, listen, get out a pad and pen, spend five minutes, say, what did I do in the second quarter? What do I do in the third quarter? How do I fix it? Now, the brain says, since you're going to fix it, I'll help you sleep. See, when he wasn't fixing it, the brain gave him pain and kept him awake. And so it was just a, a simple thing. But thinkers think a lot, don't speak up. So they're having problems, they don't tell you, and they get pain, and it puts them down. And finally, you get feelers. Now, feelers are unstructured. So enforcers structured external, thinkers structured internal, mozzies unstructured external, feelers unstructured internal. Now, I got feeler in me. And the biggest thing about a feeler is we're worried. I'm worried that my biggest worry is that I haven't helped you with this podcast. I've let you down. And so I don't want that to happen. And so my biggest concern is that I've let people down. It's not what they think of me. Now, problem with that is feelers, if you, a coach yells at a, a, as a, as a, at a feeler, he says, I should quit because I shouldn't be here. I'm letting you down. And feelers in games, when they make mistakes, they want to withdraw because they think they're letting their teammates down. And it's really important for feelers. And that's why we get people in similar groups, whether rugby league, basketball, Aussie rules, whatever, and get them to say, how do you do your demons? So it's really get, get that all Australian player, talk to younger players. How do I handle my demons? Or the feelers, how do I handle my demons? Mozzies, how do I handle my distracting demons? Enforcers, how do I handle my angry demons? There's always things that you can do to handle your demons. And so the feelers' greatest strength is they're very good team people. They don't want to let people down. So anyway, that's basically the four types. Um, there's no good type or bad type. And when I go to teams, we do that so the coaches understand. For example, I had a Sri Lankan coach said, Phil, is this guy structured or unstructured? Because in bowling, they'll get him to go across like this. Mm. Or tell him what to do or tell him why you're doing it. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, our, probably above all else, my biggest takeaway there is the idea that it's prescript, uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. So I think it's, there's a lot of value in being able to identify where each of us, anyone listening or watching, can kind of fall into that quadrant to start identifying, okay, what, what are my natural strengths? What type of work should I try and dive into? What, how do I leverage that to my advantage? But then also not being... not um, almost justifying our weaknesses or reasons for not doing things or, cert or, or, or thinking a certain way, not justifying it um, behind the mask of, okay, this is who I am. I can't, you know, I, I can't do anything else about it. So I think it's a really good approach to it. Um, one final one, Dr. Phil, before I let you go, and uh, I said a couple of times, but I really appreciate you carving out the time to chat today. To your point, um, you'll be pleased to know that you have delivered an immense amount of value, uh, not just to myself, but to people listening as well, I'm sure. So you should feel really good about that for your, um, for your feeler <laughs> type personality in you. But just to wrap things up, I just want to talk about goal setting. Um, what are some best practices around it? Just the, just the approach vary depending on the personality that we just discussed then. Um, if I wanted to take away from this conversation, all the stuff we've just spoken about and start putting things in place, either in my career, in my relationships, in my fitness and health, um, whatever it might be. And I always say to people, there's no right or wrong 
goals to have in life? Who am I to tell you what you should be pursuing? So they are going to vary, but is there an approach that's kind of universal for everyone um, to start writing stuff down, to start, yeah, what are your thoughts around goal setting to wrap things up today? Okay, well, first let's go back to what I said earlier on. Um, you want to make sure that you can change, differentiate between aims and goals so that aims are end results that you like to have but may not be in your power. Goals are what actions do I need to get there. And so you have another step, you have what's called objectives. So if I'm saying for me to achieve my aim, I need to have this, 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 and this. And I say, but I'm not there yet. So what steps these objectives that to get there? So there has to be evidence that I'm trying to achieve my goal. And if I achieve my goal, there's evidence to achieve my aim. Now, for the thinkers, writing it out is really good. For mousy feelers, writing it out sucks. So with us, it's really keep a big picture, make our aims big picture, keep it simple, and then go to the end result saying, all right, this is what I need to have to be there and work my way back. If I'm a uh, thinker enforcer, I can be more detailed about what it is and then where do I have to stop? What's my next step? And so they, they start the beginning, work it out. Now you end up getting the same group of steps, but the, the flexible people, they work it out going from the end to the beginning. Structured people go from the beginning to the end. And the big thing is work out that there's never ultimate aims for you. My aims keep changing. I'm now 72 and I'm still changing what I'm doing. Um, so just make sure that you don't make it too long. You can over work out overall what you want to do. But I look at my life and it actually matches a mozzie. It's going all over the place. Um, because I just said, where do I want to be next? Uh, be instinctive. Think for really big picture, but I wasn't too worried about whether it's going to be in a year's time. Um, whereas my wife had to set very specific goals to get there. All right. Mate, I love that. Very tangible way to finish. Um, and just to that point as well, uh, like I mentioned a couple of times, very similar personality to you, it seems. And I find that when I do get overly structured, because I feel like I should be doing that, um, it almost serves the opposite effect as opposed to just keeping it simple, being able to think on the fly, be intuitive and kind of adapt from there. I find that really works for me. However, there's people that I know, friends, um, family, people I've had on the show, we've had similar conversations about you know, working towards something and they are a bit more methodical and obviously works for them. So I think that's um, some really good stuff there. Uh, Dr. Phil, once again, really appreciate you coming on the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I got so much value from this chat. I can't wait to, um, to share it with, the, with our audience and community. So um, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, if you got some sort of value from the episode, please do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. We've got lots more to come and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.